Michael, we have important matters to discuss. The winter coat situation. Now, we're New Yorkers, and we wear coats for six months out of the year. And starting the cold weather season with some fresh outerwear is imperative. Which brings us to Max Mara. Founded in 1951 by the late visionary Achille Maramotti, this house creates one of the highest expressions of Italian luxury and style. Recognized for its timeless designs and its luxurious fabrics, Max Mara is revered for its sharp suiting, modern accessories, and, of course, second-to-none coats. As the house celebrates its 70th anniversary, Max Mara is launching an anniversary collection that re-edits and renews the iconic pieces that left their mark not only on Max Mara's ever-evolving story, but also in the pages of the history of fashion. Think of the true exclamation points in every woman's wardrobe. Pieces like the legendary 101-801 and Ludmilla coats, everyone's favorite teddy coat, and the glamorous Anita bag, all gently fine-tuned and repurposed for today. Peruse the entire collection at maxmara.com Happy Saturday, it's November 20th, 2021, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail, and I'm getting ready to be floated down Broadway at some point in the next 10 days. That's my ambition. Wait, what? Did I miss something? The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is coming. It's Thanksgiving on the horizon. I'm just, I can see it. I can see it coming. We didn't have any of this last year. I'm getting excited. Are you going to go watch the parade? I'm not going to watch the parade, but I'm just going to jump right in and tell you that we have a delightful story in the issue this week by Nathan King about a man named Tony Sarg. He's one of these, what I love about these kinds of stories is they discover people who shaped our world that you didn't know. And Tony Sarg was the man who transformed the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade back in the 1920s when he, who was he, was an acclaimed puppeteer, he came up with the idea to inflate balloons shaped as cartoon characters and walk them down the street and in enchanting all of New York and eventually the world. So it's my ambition to be one of those guys, not carrying the strings, but maybe they'll make a balloon of me. I love this story, Michael, because it reminds me that behind every major cultural moment, there's often just one sort of eccentric person. And we now have the full story behind this guy. Yeah. I mean, he was born in Germany, moved to America, was a puppeteer and an illustrator. And in 1924, Macy's asked him to help with the Thanksgiving Day Parade. He did the windows. They were very elaborate. So elaborate, in fact, that the parade, they kind of eclipsed the parade and it paled in comparison. So in a stroke of genius, Sarg suggests introducing inflatable balloons, what he thought of as upside-down marionettes, which would turn the event into living theater, which it did. So that year, it featured Felix the Cat, a 60-foot toy soldier, and a 20-foot long elephant. That was the beginning of it all. I love this. And one of the things I love most, Michael, about this parade is it brings so many tourists and visitors to New York, which we have really acutely been missing. And I think you and I can both agree the last two weeks, the city has been on fire in a way that it hasn't been in a very long time. And it's largely because our friends are back. Now that the U.S. has finally opened itself up once again to tourists from overseas, it's been such a treat to see friends from London and France and Los Angeles. You know, everyone, it seems like, is gravitating back towards New York. The energy here is palpable. And we are not New York without our visitors. We just aren't. And you guys really bring the energy and and love and and joy of the city back to us. And we're so happy to have you. Yeah, no, I was walking down the street yesterday and I like, oh, what does that sound? And I stopped and I heard a young couple with the map out speaking Italian, looking for something in the neighborhood. So hadn't had that in 18 months of just 
hearing the tourist voice looking for directions, and it was a very welcome return to normalcy, right? I spend a lot of time in Central Park, and I walk the reservoir, I run the reservoir pretty much every day, and it's been such a treat to see tourists taking selfies, right? And like, I'm always the one volunteering, like, oh, can I get that for you? And people probably think I'm totally insane, just another eccentric New Yorker, but we're really glad that you're back, and we welcome you, and I think this is going to be a great holiday season, because I can already tell we're just going to have so many wonderful friends coming in to join us and celebrate and experience the best that the city has to offer. It's pretty thrilling. Exactly. Just like the issue this week. Thrilling, full of surprises, kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. You don't know where it's going to go. Ooh, Michael, let's start with dessert. Does it have an Italian flavor? It does have an Italian flavor. It's a little bomboloni, if you will. Murder at the House of Gucci. No words for the excitement we're feeling to see Ridley Scott's new House of Gucci hit the big screen. I mean, it's got everyone. It's got Adam Driver. It's got Lady Gaga, Al Pacino, Salma Hayek. This is all based on a book by Sarah Gay Forden that came out a long time ago, uh, 20 years ago, actually, called The House of Gucci. And it shocked the fashion world, Michael, as you'll recall, when it came out. Shocked. I was shocked. We were shocked. I was shocked. 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 This is one of those stranger than fiction stories. But anyway, we have a, a wonderful story by Sarah Gay Forden, who wrote the book in the issue this week, talking about the origins of the scandal and how it all came together. What's your view? Well, look, I suggest read this piece twice because it's read it before you see the film because it's going to give you great context about who each of these people were. And then I think it's one of those, you're going to read it later, and it's going to add even more depth and layers to the story. Because, look, you're going to be seeing Adam Driver and all these people you said on screen, but then there are the real people behind this. What I also really enjoyed about this story was she goes deeper into New York. like, well, what happened? Is that truly true? Did it go like that? Well, with Sarah Gay Forden's piece this week, you'll see not only, like, how the factions in the family came to these feuds, but even going all the way up to when she was arrested by she, I mean, the Lady Gaga character, and how the Gucci murder trial basically became the Italian equivalent of the O.J. Simpson case. It had it all. It was defense attorneys arguing that she didn't really do it, lots of money involved. This is one of those stories I can't get enough of. I mean, this is a story that was born for airmail, basically, and and that's all I'm going to say about it. Well, all I'm going to say is I'm not uh, spoiling the enjoyment of this movie or the or the pleasure of this piece, but when the week that Reggiani was convicted, little fun fact, Gucci stores all around the world in their windows displayed a pair of sterling silver handcuffs, which a spokeswoman assured callers that that the timing was, quote, a coincidence. So (laughs) talk about cinematic, a cinematic ending. Only in fashion, kids. We love it. It's like fashion is the one industry where like being a criminal is actually going to improve your fortunes. And also like even when something bad happens, of course, a designer or the, well, they'll turn in like have that perverse sense of like how to turn it into a little design detail. Like, hmm, I know. Let's do sterling silver handcuffs in the window. That'll be that'll be rather risque. Yeah, I mean, look, like there's a great tradition of this. Like, look at Dolce and Gabbana, right? Like, anyway, I guess I shouldn't get into Dolce. That's taking us. No, 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 no. All right, we'll stick with Gucci. Anyway, I can't wait to see this movie. Jared Leto's in it, and Lady Gaga's accent is already the topic of much tabloid speculation. Apparently, the dialogue coach on the set of the film said it's not even an Italian accent. It's actually a bit of a Russian accent. Funny, funny, funny. Anyway, we got to see it. You and I, Michael, movie date. Playing a little hooky one day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if we need a little break from the Thanksgiving family scene. Ah, yeah. It's, you know, catch the four o'clock matinee right after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that's a Thanksgiving treat. Now you're thinking. Let's just stick to fashion before we go into food. Tell us a bit about this new Dior book. Okay, so this is a book that also should be a movie. And it, it, we have a review this week by Ruth Peltison about Miss Dior, A Story of Courage and Couture by Justine Picardy. And it's come out recently. And again, Stranger Than Truth, which is Christian Dior, which is one of the most revered names in French couture. The story inside the book is that um, his fabled perfume, Miss Dior, was named for his sister, Catherine, who was anything but a delicate flower. She, in fact, during... World War II. She joined the French Resistance, a member of Paris based F2, which is a stealth arm of the French Resistance. And she, while she was doing that, he was working to become a fashion illustrator, then a designer inside of Paris. So, two wildly divergent paths. She and her boyfriend, who she met at a radar shop in Cannes in 1941, who was a debonair, clandestine member of the F2 as well. They met, married, but they were both in resistance over the years. She provided enormous intelligence reports to the British Secret Service. Crucially, in 44, as the Allies were planning the D-Day invasion of France. But about a month later, she was arrested by the French Gestapo in Paris and imprisoned. Incredibly, she didn't give up any incriminating information. So while she's undergoing what the Nazis called special treatment, he's continuing to look, work long hours in Paris. And she is sent to a prison in the south of Paris, and she survives there as a horrible prison. 1945, as the Allies are liberating parts of Germany, she escapes and gets back to Paris. So, incredible life, dual brother-sister, and uh, you want to talk about a movie? I would like to see this as a movie as well. Okay, but who plays them in the movie? Well, she lived to be 90. She died in 2008. So you could tell it, like, from her looking back at her life. Let's see, you want a French actress? Leia Seydoux. Leia Seydoux. Leia Seydoux. She's always the answer. Always the answer to many a dream. And the brother, (laughs) I don't know, you need sort of like a uh, portly little bald guy, right? Timothy Chalamet, this is your chance to win an Oscar. Timothy Chalamet. You have to put on like 200 pounds probably. If Jared Leto can make it happen, so can Timothy Chalamet. This would be a beautiful, I'm sure someone's already optioned it. Ugh, we're, our, we're in the wrong business, Michael. I know, Don't we have I know. agents of CAA? I think we do. Guys, just call us. We need to, we need to have a meeting because Michael and I have a lot of ideas here. Where shall we go next? We've done fashion. You want to be well-dressed for Thanksgiving, but we've got a lot of food on the table as well. No pun intended. Beginning with, you've got a fun story about a woman who makes every table look great, right? Oh, I love this story and I love this woman. So in the UK, there's a fairly well-known cookbook writer and newspaper columnist by the name of Sky McAlpine, and she just couldn't be a lovelier person. She's also an incredible home cook and has a great approach to recipes and entertaining that's really all about like non-fussy entertaining for friends. The idea being, it's not that hard to get people around a table, even if the food's not great, at least you can put the food in beautiful plates and dishes, which is the whole concept behind her new collection of plates, glasses, napkins, and all that good stuff. It's called Tavola by Sky McAlpine, and it's really a nod to Italy, where she spent some of her upbringing and still spends a lot of time in Venice. So it's just a really wonderful line of products and recipes and a celebration of the art of cooking, living, and eating well. It sounds like it's got like that old trick, you know, you order some takeout food and you replate it and everyone's like, wow, this looks great and it tastes so good. And you don't have to really reveal that it's simply been prepared food. Like my lasagna trick that some of my friends know about. I buy lasagna from somewhere in the neighborhood and I I don't hide the fact, but I heat it up, replate it, invite everyone over for a Friday night lasagna and, you know, 
if they want to think it's homemade, they can. But if they don't, I'll tell them. But it's also like you put it in beautiful serving plates and it looks even looks better, right? You and Mrs. Doubtfire, Michael. I don't know if that stings or... <laughs> Don't you remember, like, when, when I was talking to Sky about this, I was like, God, this is like the Mrs. Doubtfire concept. You order takeout food, put it in a good-looking dish, and people think you're a genius. I'll take it. It might even save your marriage. Who knows? Exactly. God, that's such a good movie. Talk about movies to rewatch around the holiday time. There you go. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fun for the whole family. Michael, speaking of unhappy families. Yes, they're all the same. Unhappy families are all the same or happy ones? I haven't read Anna Karenina in a while. Which one is it? All families are unhappy, right? All families are unhappy. All families are the same, except the Maclos. They are definitely not just like you and me, okay? We've had some fascinating developments in the world of art this week here in New York City with the much-heralded Maclo art collection going up on the block at Sotheby's. Did you read this coverage? I did, and I also went up over the weekend to see the preview of it all. So I got to see all those pieces in person, which was quite a thrill. Yeah, too bad they're not going to end up at the Met or the Guggenheim or somewhere like that. But this is a really important, it used to be actually, it's now been dispersed, but it used to be a very important privately held collection by Harry and Linda Macklow. Linda was the main collector. Over the course of many years, she acquired some incredibly important pieces by Rothko, Giacometti, Twombly. It was at the center of a very nasty divorce recently between Linda and Harry. And we reported on this divorce proceedings in a previous edition of Airmail. But essentially, these guys are no longer fans of one another and they couldn't agree on the valuation of their artwork. So they had no choice but to auction it off, which it kind of hurts. You know, it's just such a sad end to this story. But they made a lot of money, I guess. It brought in $676 million at Sotheby's, which a Sotheby's executive, my friend Brooke Lampley, well done, Brooke, she called it the most valuable single owner auction ever staged. Yikes. This is one of those stories that once again proves that money can't really buy you everything. And it's just so tragic to see this incredible collection once again going off into private hands instead of being memorialized at a Maclo gallery at the Met or whatever it happens to be. Well, look, if you miss this one, there's a second part of the collection that's going to go up for auction in May. So when it goes on exhibit before the auction, I highly recommend you go see it and save your pennies until now because it's a good hedge against inflation. I guess. I don't know. Speaking on the other end of the economic situation, you want to talk about an industry that has razor thin margins. Let's talk about what's happening with New York restaurants and the outdoor dining situation that we know, love, and occasionally hate. Sounds like you have a take on this. I do have a bit of a take on this. Have you been following the news at all? About rats? About rats, about a lot of the community boards here in New York City have had enough with the outdoor dining situation and these pavilions that sprung up during the pandemic as a means of saving this incredibly important and vital industry to New York. But now here we are 18 months into the pandemic and people are getting a little bit crotchety over the matter. Some of these do look like eyesores. Yes, there are more rats. Yes, the parking situation is problematic to say the least. Not like we should be prioritizing our city streets for parking, but it is certainly an area of debate. You know, when the sidewalks are crowded, it can be hard to get around in certain neighborhoods. So it looks like we're going to see another evolution in the outdoor. We're not going to become Paris quite yet. I've decided there's two kinds of people who with, with, with the outdoor dining sheds. There are people who were here last winter who know that you can happily sit in these with the heat lamps and you bundle up almost like you're coming off the slopes, just wear long underwear and sit outside and it's really lovely. And then there's people who weren't here. They're like, wait, you want to sit outside tonight? I'm like, yeah. It's like, oh, it's so cold. I said, it's 45 degrees. Wear a hat. 
So I like the outdoor dining. It's, it's, I don't care about giving more space for cars, parking. I think it's if they're beautifully designed, and many of them are. I mean, some of these places have doubled their seating capacity now. So that's only good, too. No, I agree. Easier to get a table. I agree. I agree in many ways. And I think any way that we can bolster the restaurant business is probably really important. But we should say this with the caveat that you and I, we live on very residential streets, meaning that there are not a lot of commercial buildings on our streets. Now, if you found that you were living in an apartment on Bleecker Street and you had to fight through the crowds every time you wanted to get home because there are 200 dining tables sitting right outside your window and these guys are talking and eating and cavorting until two o'clock in the morning, I can see how it would become a little tiresome. So this is another area of debate that New Yorkers are going to be getting very crotchety about. And I do think we're going to be seeing some legislation coming to kind of temper the madness a bit. Okay, you know where you can get a table and not be crowded? Well, like all magical things in this world, it comes from your good friend that you edit, Alex Lebrano. I'm fairly envious of the life and times of Alex Lebrano. He is globetrotting all over the world, eating at the finest restaurants, and and experiencing the most beautiful hotels, but it's a tough job and someone's got to do it. And I'm glad it's Alec. He has traveled to the south of France to check out the new Mayborn Riviera, which is a hotel that many of us have been paying close attention to because it comes from our good friends at Claridge's and it's called the Mayborn Riviera. Anyway, it's an older hotel. It's nestled up in the hills overlooking the ocean and it's quite beautiful. It's just undergone a huge renovation. But the most important part of this story, at least for Alex's world, is the restaurant that it contains. And it's called Seto. And the gentleman behind it is named Mauro Colagreco. And he is behind a very famous restaurant called Mirazor in nearby Monton. So for those who keep track of Michelin stars, this is an important one to follow. And Alec had just an incredible meal there. So it looks like there's a new jewel on the Riviera for those of you planning your summer 2022 vacations. Book now because this place is going to fill up. My guess is it's going to be a pretty formidable rival to the Hotel du Cap, which has been raining over that area for a very long time. And it's, a, it's getting some competition at long last. Book your tickets. It's open. Okay, let's take a moment to get back to a very important topic, Ashley, winter coats. Here in New York, they're so important. For much of the year, we're wearing one all the time, which is why we are so reliant on Max Mara, which has been at the vanguard of outerwear since the house was founded back in 1951. Max Mara is all about foundational luxury. These are pieces that are meant to be invested in now, worn for life, and then passed down to the next generation. I hate to pick favorites, but for the moment, I'm coveting the Ludmilla, which is Max Mara's iconic A-line wrap coat. Made of hand-stitched, double-faced sable cashmere, it's finished with a matching belt, and it's available in six beautiful colors. I see you more in the teddy bear style. I just want to say that. Oh, I'll take one of those, too. You know the holidays are coming, Michael. Anything you want, I'm here for it. Explore the entire collection at MaxMara.com and ensure that your loved ones have a very special holiday. Okay, Michael... Lord knows we should not trust ourselves to talk about Thanksgiving. We brought on the experts because that's the kind of people we are. We've got the one and only Allison Roman here who has a very, I don't want to say provocative, but she has a very insightful take on what makes Thanksgiving, as we call it, Roman's holiday. So welcome, Allison Roman. Hi, happy to be here. Okay, so Allison, first of all, I kind of want to know like the nuts and bolts of what life is like for you as a professional cookbook author, newsletter purveyor, YouTube channeler, like this is your moment. So what's going on in your world? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not a sports person, but I imagine this is like, like a Super Bowl moment. If, if that is your beat, if you are into sports, I feel like this is sort of the one holiday and day a year where people take food and cooking as seriously as I do the rest of the time. So it feels like finally I'm on the same page as the entire country, which feels really great. I feel well positioned to dispense advice. Cause like 
I've done it so many times at this point and not just for Thanksgiving, but just in my general life. Like the idea of having people over cooking big meals is something that is like you cut me open and that's what I bleed. And so I feel like ready to go every year. Okay. In your newsletter, which we subscribe to and love, you have proposed a really solid menu. Just give us the rundown on what we should be making this year. I sort of structure it as you start with your salads. And for me, there's got to be two of them. One is sort of like a bitter, leafy, herby salad. It can be simply dressed in just lemon, salt, pepper, but it's like basic. It is you shouldn't be doing anything other than picking herbs, tearing lettuce. And the second one is sort of your fruit salad moment. And admittedly, this is my workaround from cranberry sauce, which for me, unless it comes from a can, I don't bother. But I do love the texture of like fresh orange and apple and pear and persimmon, if you can find them. Again, like salt, pepper, maybe some olive oil, but it is this is your fruit salad, cranberry-ish moment. You could put cranberries in it if you wanted, I guess. And then that one I would say is probably my most controversial take is that there should be two salads, which happy to be that my most controversial thing I say. (laughs) And then for sides, this to me is like, let's say that this is like a super group you're putting together and every, like you need, you need all hands on deck for this moment. I'm not including potatoes or stuffing. Those are not sides. Those are their own categories. So For the sides, I do like a sweet, salty thing. And this is like, I consider it your orange vegetable and that I'm a fan of squash over things like carrots and sweet potatoes. But if you prefer one or the other, they would be great here. But it's like sticky dates, toasted walnuts, brown butter. It's like a sweet, salty, savory, syrupy moment if you're going to have one. I did not grow up in a sweet potato casserole household, but I imagine this is like the modern update of that. And then the other two are sort of wild cards. If you're a macaroni and cheese person, I get the desire for like a creamy, crunchy thing on the table, but I'm going to go with like a creamed greens with leeks and breadcrumbs, almost like a gratin, and then a um, sort of, I guess, modern version of green bean casserole, because it's not so much a casserole as it is a bunch of green beans and mushrooms that are roasted. Okay. So Thanksgiving is days away, but how many Thanksgiving dinners have you already made this year? I've made two full meals, like start to finish as the meal. And then I've done like additional testing. So I'd say, let's call it three and a half. All right. What is the craziest thing someone's ever pulled to try to get an invite to your Thanksgiving dinner? Like what's the petitioning process like to get a seat at the table? I mean, typically it's like, are you related to me is the first line of defense. And that's pretty easy to suss out, like whether you are or not. So I'd say like otherwise in terms of Friendsgivingies, there's been like friends, coworkers, friends, cousins, coworkers, friends, neighbors, cousins, coworkers. Like it doesn't matter. Like if there is a will, there is a way. If there is any sort of connection, I feel like people will try to exploit that. And honestly, my attitude is like, Great. Join us. Allison, you used the sports metaphor earlier. I love sports. It's (laughs) Super Bowl time. There are many people who are, we might say, out of shape in terms of their cooking and their game. So what is, for the average person, uh, uh, um, perhaps the person talking, speaking to you, I'm sure you've also shared a number of what the kids would call hacks. Like, here's one or two things. If you're going to be in the kitchen, do this. It'll it'll de-stress you and it'll make you feel better about how you're doing Thanksgiving. Are there one or two bits of wisdom you could share with people? 
Yeah, if it were someone, no one in particular, definitely not the person interviewing me right now, I would say, so for me, like I need a clear space. And I think that that should go for everybody. If your kitchen is cluttered, if you have shit everywhere, it's not going to work for you. Things like putting on really great music. And I am a huge proponent of cooking to music. I have never not cooked to music. And to me, it is just part of like the way that I tap into creativity, but also just feeling more relaxed and more at ease. And I guess the third thing being try to alleviate yourself of the pressure to get it all done. I am definitely an overachiever in the amount of things that I'd like to eat at Thanksgiving. But again, I feel like if you are feeling like you have to do it all yourself, remember that delegation is extremely powerful, especially during the holidays. That's a good point. I think it's like people often want to bring something, so you should maximize that. And here's my other question on that. It's not wrong to maybe, if you can't do it all, to maybe get some good prepared foods and buttress your table with that as well and maybe want people to believe you've done that too? Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire all the way. (laughs) I feel like she taught us so much. If that is your vibe and you have someone you trust, especially desserts are such an excellent place to outsource. There are amazing bakers in every town, every city, sort of making sure that they are the ones taking care of at least one thing on the table is huge. That was my family never made dessert ever, 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 ever. All our pies came from Costco like every year. And you know what? They're great. I feel like the delegation, there's no shame in that. And if that means a friend, a family member or a restaurant or a bakery, it doesn't matter. Like if it makes the thing that you are making that much better because you're able to pay attention to it, go for it. Okay, Allison, for those of us who like a holiday tipple, when should we start drinking? Do you have a strategy for this? I was like, what's a tipple? (laughs) I mean, listen, I start drinking as soon as the thought crosses your mind. (laughs) It's a personal choice. As a person who, it also depends on when you're eating Thanksgiving. It didn't occur to me that some people start eating Thanksgiving at like 3 p.m. I mean, I think of Thanksgiving, you eat it at dinner time. You eat it at six, you eat it at seven. But if you are sitting down to eat at three and you're cooking from 7 a.m. on, then I don't know, noon feels fine to me personally. Thank you so much. Just make sure you're not wasted by the time you're sitting down to dinner. Like, what do you say to people who don't want pie? I don't know who those people are, people who don't like pie, but you always get some crabby person who doesn't want pie, right? Yeah, that's me, Michael. I'm the crabby person who doesn't <laughs> want pie. It's embarrassing to admit, but I don't disagree. You've just put your body through a lot. Like this is, again, if you're out of shape cooking, you're probably out of shape eating that much in one sitting. It is a lot to ask of yourself. And then on top of it, be like, there's pie. I declined pie the first go around. I'm a pie two hours after everyone's had pie person. Like I need to respect my body's wishes and just give it a minute. I think having things on the table like Amaro's or bitters and soda or some sort of like digestive on hand is an excellent way to coax people into having the pie that you've spent so much time and effort or money on. But otherwise I would just respect their wishes, respect the boundary. (laughs) All right. Allison, we're going to let you get back to your hotline. We know you've got an eager and adoring public that requires your attention. (laughs) Thank you so much. When this is all said and done, Michael and I are taking you out to lunch to celebrate the end of a successful holiday. Thank you so much. I would love someone to cook for me. That's like the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. I'm very excited. I look forward to that. Great. Have a happy holiday and we'll see you very soon. You as well. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.
before we head off into this long holiday weekend, is there anything you can recommend to take our attentions away from the dishes? I can and will. And it's, I recently, I don't know how I came across this, but I was looking at 50th anniversary movies and I came across a film many people have not seen. You can get it on Apple Plus TV. It is Duel, D-U-E-L. It was by a young Steven Spielberg, 1971. Some of you, if you've read Easy Rider's Raging Bulls, that book, you know that the lore about this film, but it is, I think it stars Dennis Weaver as a man who's in being terrorized by an 18-wheeler semi-trailer truck. It sounds crazy, but the level of suspense and terror that Spielberg does in this film that's only really about 92 minutes long, you see everything he's going to do basically in Jaws and how he, even at this very young age of 27 or so, is already a master of suspense and moving the camera in ways that no one ever had. So if you want a sort of reminder of how fresh he was when he came in and what his influence was going to be, take a moment, watch it. It's a real bravura performance. Wonderful, I will. And you, my dear? Oh my goodness, Michael. If you're ready for a little bit of bed hopping, some serious drinking, I highly recommend diving into a new collection of unpublished diaries from Patricia Highsmith. Her literary reputation has never been higher than it is right now. She's probably best known for The Talented Mr. Ripley, which she wrote in the 1950s, but she also published 22 novels and tons of stories, uh, including the novel The Price of Salt, which was the basis of the 2005 film Carol, uh, many notebooks, and there's now a new volume of her journals. It is 1,024 pages. Highly recommend you get this one on the old Kindle. And it's a really marvelous look at this woman that a lot of people thought that they knew. She was a fairly big personality on the literary scene and quite an unforgettable one. She got more eccentric as she got older. But this collection was edited by Anna von Planta. These are things that Highsmith never wanted written about while she was certainly alive. And for good reason. There's some controversial stuff in here. Obviously, I'm not even through it. I am still muddling my way through, but it's totally fascinating. And it's like, if you want to... a book about a young writer in New York who's having the time of her life, this is a great place to start. And these diaries cover a huge stretch of time from 1941 all the way up until her death from lung cancer in 1995. So it's called Patricia Highsmith, Her Diaries and Notebooks, edited by Anna Von Planta. Again, get it on Kindle unless you want to use it as a doorstop afterwards, but it's highly enjoyable. Well, Michael, on that note, happy reading, happy eating, and thank you all so much for joining us. As always, it's such a treat. We are thankful for you all. And we'd like to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Max Mara. Truly, you guys have been putting clothes on our backs for many years and we're so happy to have you with us and michael will you please read us out i will gobble gobble morning meeting is produced by airplay productions and edited by jesse cannon our co-editors are graydon carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan. Our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. But most of all, thank you for joining us.